This is Let's Talk Money, a podcast about the intimate financial details of our lives and the emotional connections we have to money. In this episode, Erica Rajur, a financial therapist, speaks with Rose about her finances. Rose is days away from getting married, and they get into some great discussion around what might change in the very near future. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. Not too bad. You look a little nervous. I am a little nervous. I don't know. I'm I'm a little nervous. It's also really hot in here. I was like wearing long sleeves before and I like had to go change. So I'm like just sort of nervous and sweaty and it's really, it's great. It's cute. So (laughs) (laughs) it's cute. It's cute. So it sounds like you've got a lot going on in your life. Yes, that is definitely true. So it's, I don't know. I mean, I sent you a small email about it, uh, (laughs) but I can talk about it now at the moment. I don't know. Before, before you get into that, like, tell me a little bit about just how you're feeling in general. Are you feeling overwhelmed, excited, nervous, all of the above? I think generally like positive and excited. I think that it's been, uh, I mean, obviously it's been a weird time in the world, but I've felt very fortunate to have not only stable employment and, you know, money coming in, but also I recently started a new job. And so that has sort of prospects are on the up and up too. So congratulations. That's exciting. Thank you. So generally, you know, I think that I have a lot of sort of exciting things I'd like to do with my money in the future. But, and so that overall is, is sort of an exciting prospect, I think. So let's talk more about the exciting things you want to do with your money. What does that, what does that look like for you? Well, so we bought, my fiance and I bought a house about a year ago. And so while, you know, we really have, you know, been fortunate that, you know, nothing A, catastrophic has happened, but B, it generally was in good shape when we moved in. We, you know, haven't had to necessarily sort of spend a lot of money on emergency things, but, you know, we're excited to do more renovations and more sort of updating and more, you know, sort of make it feel even more like home. We're also, so I was supposed to get married in April. And so while that has been postponed and is looking very different. We're actually getting married this Saturday, but like sort of planning for the future in terms of, you know, having a big party eventually and going on a honeymoon and, you know, some of the sort of exciting but practical things of like, you know, opening the right sort of future savings accounts for, you know, college savings, which is something weird to think about. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we're really looking forward to both sort of, you know, getting married, but also having a big party with everyone once we can, can do that again. Right. So you are one of the COVID brides. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yes, I am. That's true. So luckily we our decision was very much made for us. Um, very much so. And I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. It's, you know, getting married is, you know, one of the most meaningful milestones we have in our lives, right? And and for it to, quote unquote, turn out this way, there's there's such a sense of loss and grief and disappointment 
you know, there's a certain sense of, you know, flexibility and like, okay, well, we'll just pivot and do something else. But I am, I'm really sorry to, to hear that. I, I know what that, that means. Yeah. I mean, it's, we've had some time to come to terms with it and we're making the best of it. And I think that, you know, everyone who we've talked to about, you know, our plans for still getting married and, you know, for next year and things like that has been very, you know, really supportive and really excited. And I think that anything we we do will be sort of extra special. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. There's, def- there's definitely a silver lining here. It's, it's memorable in and of itself, which creates mm-hmm. its own, you know, it, it creates a much more deeper significance, you know, especially, you know, as you're, as you're getting married and you think about the, 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 the meaning of marriage and, and what it means to move forward as, as a functioning unit mm-hmm. and the emphasis that is placed on, you know, getting through life's challenges together. I mean, this, this is a, a crash course in COVID, mm-hmm. yeah. COVID, COVID marriage counseling. <laughs> you know? Well, and we, we very much, you know, we were like, well, at the very least after working from home and spending a lot of time together for the last couple of months. Like we still want to get married, right? We still like each other. We and, still uh, like each other. We, we still like each other. I read a headline the other day uh, about Kelly Clarkson and Brandon Blackstock and how they were having you know troubles in their marriage and they quarantined together in Montana. And it, it doesn't look like their quarantine turned out in their favor since wow. Kelly Clarkson filed for a divorce earlier this week. Oh no. So I'm glad it worked in your favor. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, really glad. Gosh. So, you know, when we and I think this is a really good place to start, you know, because we, we truly never know what life is going to throw at us. But what I kind of want to know now is what life has thrown at you in the past in terms of, you know, where you see yourself financially from your perspective, you know, based on, you know, your upbringing mm-hmm. and, you know, some of the, the things you've, you've experienced in the past, you know, whether it be your family or your peers, you know, some of the financial advantages or disadvantages you, you, you perceive for yourself. You know, I, can you, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I think I come from a like family and, and background and where I'm really at an advantage. So like my, I don't know, like in my family, like my, my mom is the person like in charge of the finances and like sort of in charge of, of that, but sort of really instilled early on sort of about, you know, both sort of financial responsibility, but also like just, you know, keeping an eye on your money. Right. Like, so a lot of the stuff that, you know, around saving and around like tracking spending and, and monitoring, like, you know, the usage of your accounts and sort of being, having that sort of financial awareness, you know, is something that I know is a big advantage and like has really helped set me up for success. Like I work with, I volunteer with a group that sort of works with former foster youth who are transitioning into adulthood. And, you know, some of like, there's sort of this like cultural teaching around money that, that these young people haven't had necessarily. So I I work I mentor a girl who like the idea of having a savings account is sort of like a foreign concept. Absolutely. Um, and like the idea of like an interest bearing savings account or like shopping around to find a checking account that doesn't, you know, charge you overdraft fees and, and sort of has other features and has flexibility is something that I sort of have that 
as part of my upbringing and as part of my like sort of, I don't know, financial education just from my family that I know, while to me it feels like very much a cultural norm and very much like just something that people know, like I know that's not the case. And so I'm, I think I really come from an advantaged place. I mean, my, my family is like, I would say middle class and like throughout time, like my parents often fought about money. Like that was a big sort of thing that happened. And so I sort of understand it's, I think I have a a good idea of its importance and sort of awareness of it. And I think I also sort of from the idea of like advantages or disadvantages, I mean, my parents were always, you know, really committed to education. And so while I, you know, was took, I was in charge of like, you know, the tuition part of my education, my undergraduate education, like my parents covered room and board because they wanted me to have the flexibility to focus on school and not have to work and things like that. And I I know that that's really a huge advantage. And that has also been a great, I mean, generally speaking, my parents have been really supportive and very willing to sort of help me out of a bind or, or, or sort of be a fallback, be a cushion in case, you know, I bought a plane ticket to go somewhere wild and I hadn't quite, you know, saved enough in advance and, you know, mom and dad, could you hold me over until my next paycheck kind of thing? Sure. That has always been an option. And I know that that makes me really fortunate. Yeah, it does. You know, having a strong, you know, financial support system mm-hmm. is, is really a, a wonderful thing. It is. And, and learning important money lessons along the way is, is even more key. You know, going forward, as, as you're looking and assessing your own you know, kind of financial temperature at this, at this juncture in, in your life, you know, how do you feel about money personally? You know, when, when I say the word money, does it, I, how does it make you feel? I think it, it depends a lot. <laughs> I think sure. that how I feel about sort of money as a concept and money as a term, even it's sort of very dependent on how financially stable I'm feeling at that time. I find that, I mean, I think about it sort of professionally as well. So I, I feel like to me, a higher salary and like better benefits is like a huge indicator of how much I'm appreciated in my role. Right. So like from a career perspective, so like coming out of graduate school, you know, I felt like even if I had loved my first job out of graduate school, like they were not paying me very much. And I felt like, well, they must not value me if they're not willing to sort of compensate me monetarily in a way that I think I should be valued. Right. So to me, I think money, that sort of makes it feel like, and maybe it's true that to me, money feels like it has sort of a, like, um, like a, yeah, I mean, personal value and appreciation and sort of is affiliated in, with success in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. When when we look at money from a lot of different perspectives, and it's, it's interesting that you went this route, <laughs> which is good. I'm glad you did. You know, so much of our thoughts about money are directly related to 
our own thoughts and feelings about our own self-worth. Mm-hmm. And there's a tendency for, for individuals who are feeling a low sense of self-worth to absolutely project that into their, their financial circumstances. And that also includes, you know, professionally and interpersonally and, and all of, all of those things that, you know, cumulatively make us, you know, who we are and, and whatever environment we're, we're living in. So how would you rate your, your sense of self-worth in general? And then how would you rate it as it relates to money? I, I know this is a very big question. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that is a big question. How would I rate myself in terms of my self-worth? If it was uh, a scale of one to ten. Ooh, I again, it depends on the day, probably. I don't know if I'm like, you know, particularly inclined to rate myself lower just because I had recently started a new job. So I'm feeling really out of my element. So like feeling a little more worthless, I guess. But I'm going to say probably like a seven. That's like, you know, that's a C. C's, yeah. get, degre- C's get degrees. I probably shouldn't say that, but that's okay. <laughs> they do. You know, all right. So you're giving yourself a, a passing grade on the, on the self, self-worth scale. Yeah. You know, and what's, what's interesting about that, especially, you know, from a woman's perspective, women are notoriously hard on ourselves, aren't we? Aren't we just, aren't we just mean to ourselves? Yeah. I, I think there's, <laughs> there's like, uh, you know, the imposter syndrome. Like I knew coming into like this new job and like, whatever that that imposter syndrome was going to be a big a big thing and I think from from the general standpoint of like self-worth I would say like in my head like the scale of self-worth goes like like I don't I don't know what under five is really in my head but like a 10 is like you're walking around the world with like the confidence and you know like bearing of somebody who's like things are just going to happen to me right it's sort of the like you know Harry Potter, Felix Felicis, right? Like, it's just yes. like, like, like 10 is like a, I know nothing bad is going to happen. Like everything is going to go my way. Yes. Um, and then like a five is like, I could be better, right? Like I could do better. I could whatever. Um, but not so hopeless that you don't see the like ability to get better. Right. Or like right. the ability to feel worth again. And so like, I would say like probably on average, Maybe I'm a seven. Some days I'm an eight. Some days I'm a five or six. But we'll we'll keep with the seven. But I just we'll want to we'll sort we'll of keep explain. No, and you're right. You know, we you know we we fluctuate in the way we feel about ourselves. And you know, women in general, we just we just have this uncanny ability to completely undermine mm-hmm. everything we do. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so much related to the way we feel about ourselves at any given point. You know, in a day, I may fluctuate in a day, fluctuate by an hour. And it's not just because we're women. It's just because mm-hmm. life happens. Right. You know, but, you know, biologically speaking, you know, we, we do have, we do struggle with, mm-hmm. with that a bit more. And what's fascinating to this about me is that you mentioned imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is such a, a powerful statement to make as it relates to conversations about self-worth and our money and, and how we process this. You know, there's there's nothing like the feeling of starting a, a new job and feeling like, I can't believe I got this job. How did I get this job? And now right. I'm in this job. I don't feel like I know what I'm doing. And it, 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 it you know, you get the job, you're, you're feeling on the top of the world. You know, like you said, 
all these great things are happening, right? right? Nothing, nothing can go bad. And then, and maybe somebody, you know, sends a snarky email or, you know, and it, it starts chipping away at that 10, right? And so, and then we start feeling like we don't deserve mm-hmm. being in this role. Like somebody made a mistake. HR made a mistake where we know deeply that, no, we, we do deserve this, but we, we engage in so much negative self-talk and it's hard to uh, retrain our brains to, to, to stop that, you know, mm-hmm. to stop that, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff out there, you know, you know, thoughts become things and think positive and all that. I don't know if, if that's altogether a true thing or not, but, you know, thinking positive things only get you so far in terms of your self-worth. It won't help you recover from imposter syndrome without changing something at a cellular level. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we have to believe that there is, there's a reason why we feel like we're imposters and there's a, a way to, you know, make sure we're on the, the greater scale of, of 10 when it comes to self-worth on any given day. And it's especially true with money. You know, when we think about money and imposter syndrome, you know, one of the first things that comes to my mind is feeling like, How, do I, do I deserve this money? Mm-hmm. You know, I've had, you know, in your situation, it sounds like you've, you've had a lot of advantage, a lot of support from your parents, a lot of, you know, you mentioned, you know, them, them holding you over, you know, right. um, because you didn't plan ahead <laughs> and, and that's okay. You know, those are the things that happen in life that, you know, give us a sense of, okay, you know, learning point taken, you know, and it, it sounds to me that you, you've had, you know, a lot of support in that way. And, and as you're, you know, going along your own financial path, you're, you're figuring these things out. Mm-hmm. And, and now you're getting to the point where it, it may be, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, that you're going out really independently. You're, you know, getting married, you're, you're taking steps to create maybe a family of your own at some point, you know, you're, you're doing something different than what you've been doing. And there can be a lot of challenges even in that, in terms of feeling somewhat like an imposter and trying to move forward in your own finances. So when you think about taking control of, you know, these exciting things, right? Mm-hmm. These exciting things that are going on in your life, this great new job, you know, marrying, you know, your fiance on Saturday, which again, congratulations. That's wonderful. <laughs> I mean, that's just so exciting. <laughs> You know, are there elements of self-doubt that are plaguing plaguing you right now? Uh, there definitely are. I mean, I think from a, I, I find like sort of financially, I think that sometimes I lose track of like the future goals, like the far goals, mm-hmm. you know, in favor of the, you know, hot new thing here now kind of stuff, which probably is not totally unique. But so, so that's sort of one place where I doubt myself. And then when it comes to sort of more like grown up financial sort of, I don't know, like, like thinking about like, okay, I have an employee stock purchase plan through work. Like I know things about money. I know things about banking. I know things about the markets or whatever, but like, I don't know anything about this. And like, I get frustrated and then I just don't, I take a step back and I say, somebody figure this out for me. Right. Like or thinking about like saving for retirement or for saving for some of these other things. Like I'm, I sort of feel like it's easy to do the autopilot saving where you're like, okay, I'm going to put some percentage to my retirement and 
you know, maybe that's right. Who knows, right? Like maybe that's good enough. But then when it comes to more complex things, I sort of feel this sense of like, oh, I don't know anything about this, really doubting my sort of ability to understand it and my ability to try to understand it even, right? Like right. I sort of give up on some sense. And I think, I think maybe part of that comes too from like, you know, being surrounded by people who know more about it, right? So you sort of feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't deserve these things if I can't figure out how they work or like, I don't like, you know, I'll never figure out how they work. I don't know anything about money. Right. And, you know, I know like in my heart of hearts and like, you know, full brain (laughs) that like, I, because I have these advantages and because I have the support system and because I have a good sort of baseline education and a baseline knowledge, first of all, I'm doing much better in that regard. You know, I I should have maybe more self-worth than I do, but, you know, I, I'm aware of the things I don't know, or at least aware that I don't know things. And that really sort of brings me back down again. So keeping it in perspective, I think has been a difficult thing. Right. And I, you know, you're not alone. I can tell you that, you know, your, your feelings are completely valid and they're shared by so many others. So you are, you are certainly not alone in in the way you feel, you know, I I sense a, a strong, you know, sense of, of, you know, a little bit of shame even coming from you about, you know, I've had all these advantages, but you know, at the end of the day, I feel kind of dumb. Yeah. I think that's, that's really true. That's really true. And I think I, I still think I'm like learning and growing and whatever around money and around finances, but yeah, it's, it's sort of that, like, I should know this or I should be, interested in learning this and sometimes I just I'm not like I just I'll that's fine I'll sign up for this you know thing and I'll put some money in rap and some money in traditional and I don't really we'll we'll just see what happens we'll see what happens exactly you know and you know wanting to not you know you mentioned you know kind of not even feeling motivated to, to learn something about you know just putting it in autopilot I assure you that's also very common. <laughs> it's it's not something that you are alone in in the slightest because money as a topic is so incredibly overwhelming. It is so much and it, it doesn't matter, you know, what background you come from. Right. You know, I could I could draw the comparison, you know, with the you know, the, the individuals you work with, you know, the savings account is a foreign concept. Well, you know, investing in a more complicated way is a foreign concept to you. Yeah. And so I want you to put, to, you know, give yourself a little yeah. bit of empathy and care here and tell me about, you know, when, when you, when you hear that, you know, a savings account is a, a, is a foreign concept to the person you work with, what, what kind of feelings do you have toward her? You don't think she's dumb, do you? No, 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 no. <laughs> Because she's not, she just doesn't know. She might, she might want to know more, mm-hmm. but it, it can be very overwhelming. It doesn't matter, you know, what your respective backgrounds are. It's, it's where you are in your life and, and how you're learning to approach these different scenarios. You're right. You are growing. You are learning. 
And so my request of you is to give yourself the same space, the same care, the same compassion, be compassionate towards yourself that you clearly extend to other people in your day-to-day life. You have a great opportunity to, to learn so much about yourself in this situation. You're already very, very clearly aware of, of where you're at, mm-hmm. which is a huge, a huge benefit. And so, you know, as you're moving forward, you know, you've got these feelings of shame and guilt and, you know, kind of a, a fluctuating scale of self-worth. What are the things that you can do to be more kind and compassionate towards yourself in reaching your financial goals. You know, it's, it's hard to, to get out of that, you know, shame thing. I don't, are you familiar with Brene Brown? That sounds familiar. Didn't she have like a Netflix special or something? Is so that- I don't know if it was Netflix, but it was, uh, she had this amazing Ted talk that went viral yeah. a number of years back. And she is a, she, she's fantastic. She's got all these books and, and stuff, but she's a self-proclaimed shame researcher. And she legitimately is. She's a prof- professor, but she researches shame. And the way she describes shame is just this phenomenal kind of enlightening experience that I think so many of us can relate to. Mm-hmm. And, and shame is truly that feeling that you mentioned, of, you know, there's, there's something wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with you it's this it's about meeting yourself where you are Mm -hmm. and being able to kind of displace that shame and guilt and then put it somewhere else put it somewhere else that is going to work in your favor instead of against you and it it does require some sort of a a, it's not just a mind mindset shift it's a heart shift and when we talk about shifting any sort of perspective. There's a lot of growing pains that come along with that. Mm-hmm. And what you're experiencing in terms of the, I, I'm just going to put things on autopilot. That's, that's a, that's a growth shift, you know, whereas I'm thinking maybe I should be doing this, but I'm, I'm doing this. And I don't think that's exactly what I want to do, but I'm a little nervous. I'm a, I feel like I should be doing more for, for where I'm at. You've got to meet yourself where you're at. Right. And so it's establishing, you know, expectations for yourself in, you know, in manageable doses. You know, you'd mentioned not just a minute ago that, you know, you kind of get caught up in more of your short-term goals and kind of lose sight of those, those longer term goals. Right. So let's talk about that for a minute, you know, going as, as you're, you know, moving forward, what are those long-term goals you have for yourself? Have you given that some thought? Have you thought about what you really want your life to look like? No, probably not. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think it's like, I mean, right now, like, you know, I have been thinking a lot about like emergency fund and like, you know, or even, I mean, it's not totally long-term goals, but like, thinking about, you know, paying off my car loan and, you know, paying for, you know, having saved enough for the wedding in a year. But it's so easy to like, be like, oh, well, we need this thing now that like, I mean, I have budgets and I I, like, I have a budget and I have categories and I have things like that. And like sort of pulling things from 
money that's supposed to be for something bigger farther down the road and and sort of having yeah like not I think maybe it's because that further down the road thing feels really abstract and like either abstract or like even if it's concrete like say oh I don't know just an example like a florist who I will eventually owe money to, right? Like, exactly, uh, exactly, exactly. you know, like it still feels like it's really far down the road, particularly mm-hmm. like we haven't figured out when that's going to happen. Right. So right. there's an amorphous amount of time to save similar to like, there's an amorphous amount of time to save for a baby or save for, you know, a future child's college or save for the tree falling down outside our house. Right. Like, Right. For all these things that like have this amorphous amount of time associated with them, mm-hmm. it feels really hard to not get distracted by the, you know, shiny new and now, because like you sort of, I sort of have the mindset of like, oh, well, I'll have plenty of time. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously not always true. Like the tree in our front yard could fall tomorrow. Right. I'm, Fingers crossed it does not, but <laughs> knock on wood if you want yeah. to be funny about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, there's still it's sort of the like the unknown unknowns that really I find hard to save for and like also hard to define, right? Like outside of sort of saying like, oh well it's a rainy day fund or oh well it's a house repair fund or oh well, you know, it's a amorphous honeymoon because we planned to that we canceled right like you know that doesn't have the same sort of motivator or have the same sort of feeling of motivation as you know oh I want to buy this dress you know oh I want to buy this thing on this Instagram (laughs) right (laughs) you know so I don't know I mean I I think I veered off from what your question was but I think that I I sort of am maybe borrowing from the future while realizing it. I, I was going to say like without realizing it, but like I realize it. I know that. But it's a matter of actually like changing that behavior and changing that sort of mindset that I don't, I don't know. I mean, I've sort of successfully done it in the past. So like mm-hmm. I can remember like, right out of grad school, maybe like six months into this first job I had that was like not paying me quite enough to like do everything I wanted to do. And like, I had like eaten through my savings during grad school because while I was really fortunate that I, my master's was funded and I didn't take out loans and I didn't, you know, have to worry about sort of paying back student loans since I had also paid off my undergraduate student loans already. Like I had eaten through my savings and realized, you know, six months into this job that like, I didn't have any savings anymore, right? Like I had retirement accounts, but I had nothing if, you know, the car died or something, right? Like I had, I had nothing, uh, I, I couldn't do anything about it without just like turning to my parents and saying like, hi, please help me. And like, I know that I was, shouldn't have been in that, should is like a, you know, judgmental word, et cetera. But like, I, I felt like I didn't like that I was in that situation. 
You could have done better. You could I could have done, done better and I felt really guilty about it. And I ended up like basically like having a breakdown about it. Uh, Mm -hmm. And like, I remember crying to my, you know, fiance, who was my boyfriend at the time and just being so upset about the fact that I had like a hundred dollars in my savings account or something less than that, which is still, you know, compared to people who were, that's some people don't have a savings account. Right. But like Mm -hmm. the fact that I had didn't have what I felt like was the appropriate amount of financial fallback was really scary and really felt like a personal failing. And like, I, like in that tearful conversation where I like lost it over, (laughs) over this, you know, my, my fiance and I like talked through it and he sort of said, okay, you're upset about this. Like, how can we, how can we make you less upset about this? Like what is going to help? And like, it was even just this idea of like putting 50 bucks in my savings account every month and sort of building that. And that was like, felt like a very obvious, like, this is the thing that's upsetting me. This is a way I can fix it that doesn't require such a heavy lift. But I think it gets harder when I'm in a better place, sort of from a salary standpoint and financially, and, you know, we own a home, which is, you know, wild and crazy in its own right. But like, it's harder, it gets harder when like, the goals, the goals feel amorphous. There isn't something I can pinpoint and say like, this is what's making me feel uneasy. And so like, I, I, I sort of have, have the memory of like, I was able to do this in the past. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's sort of talking about, you know, having self-worth around finances, like that contributes to the fact that like, I feel some amount of worth because I was able to say like, enough is enough. I'm going to change this. I'm going to do this. But I sort of, A, feel, I don't, I feel like I don't want to get to that. Like, I'm really upset about this point. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I sort of feel like I I do this thing with finances where I feel really confident and really good. And then I feel like, oh crap, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what's going on. I feel really out of control and poor, which is like not true. Like, I know it's not true, but it's like, Something about my like mindset just makes you feel like, yeah, it's sort of shameful that like I should have spent so much from this paycheck or like that I haven't saved more or that, you know, I can't save for these future things in the way that I want to. And like sort of the difficulty in having, I, I love to be able to like, make changes and move forward and do things without having like, let's skip the breakdown part. Right. <laughs> like, like, right. 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 <laughs> you know, and I think, you know, what, what you said about, you know, skipping the breakdown part, you know, when we are doing things in our lives that create a very strong emotional reaction in us, like you had mentioned, you know, you, you were devastated. You were disappointed in yourself. You know, that is a, a huge turning point And that is a, those feelings are a direct contradiction. They're the result of a direct contradiction into what we value, you know, very much at kind of that more deep soul level, what mm-hmm. we know, you know, and in our human being, what is right and what doesn't feel so right to us. And so when we do things to ourselves that are in direct contradiction to what we hold most valuable, mm-hmm. then we have these emotional reactions. 
we have, you know, the guilt, the shame that, oh my gosh, why did I do this? I know better, right? I know better. I have all the tools in the world, yet I still can't seem to get it together. What that tells us is just really, hey, we're, we're doing stuff that isn't, isn't what we value, isn't really what we want. And so each of, each of those moments is a, is a time for us to reflect. And you did a really great job reflecting on that and making changes and you got yourself out of a hole. And so you do have that powerful lesson to lean on and say, okay, yeah, I remember a distinct time where I did something against what, what I, I hold most valuable, what I value. You might not know exactly what those feelings are yet, but that's what I'm going to task you with <laughs> is, is understanding at a very deep level, what it is you value in your life and, right. and these moments, you know, in your mo- money journey that really take, cause you to take some pause and like, wow, I, I did this. I felt this way. And this is how I came back from it. Mm-hmm. How do we, how do we come back? How do we bounce back? So when we, when you're looking at the things you're trying to do now and the things that you want to accomplish, especially as you mentioned, I, I love the word amorphous. It's very ambiguous abyss, future things that we don't know are going to happen or not going to happen. You know, and there's so much of that uncertainty just in life in general. And then you have the money thing, you know, oh, you're telling me, you know, to retire comfortably at 65, I have to have $3.4 million saved. Yikes. What, what does that even mean? Right. Right. What does that even mean to, you know, somebody who is like, you know, just, who gets sidetracked by Instagram marketing. I, I, I get it. I've been there. I've done that. <laughs> you know, it, it becomes even more uncertain. It becomes even more ambiguous. And it's just kind of like this vicious cycle of, of ambiguity. And so it, it detracts from our motivation. And the reason it detracts from our motivation a lot of times is we just haven't settled upon what we value the most. You know, so it's, it's really easy to value, you know, like you mentioned, a new dress, right? Or something right. for the house. Because that has value to us right now. We can touch it. We can you know, feel it. Sometimes we can taste it. You know, our senses are in complete alignment with whatever that, that thing is that we value now. We can't sense what things taste like, feel like, you know, sound like, smell like in the future. Right. Because we're just not there yet. We might have a general idea of what we want the future to look like. We know as individuals, our values change over time. And so some people, you know, myself included, it's, it's hard to really quantify that with, with money. And so it's really easy to just kind of, I don't want to say give up on it, but put it on the back burner in favor of doing things in the present that we can put, you know, tangible value on. Right. And so... One of the suggestions, you know, I have for you is to take some time to think about what you might value in the future as it relates to your, your money situation. And they can, you can, and here's the thing, you know, to combat, you know, amorphousness with amorphousness, Mm -hmm. keep your, your future goals somewhat amorphous, you know, okay. You know, when I retire, you know, it would be nice to, you know, you know, have my house paid off. Mm-hmm. that's a goal that isn't necessarily bound by time. And, and, you know, you'd mentioned time and time is an important component of that too. You know, when we think about investing, we have the time value of money. Are you familiar with that concept? Not explicitly, or at least like not in, I don't know. I don't know about the terminology. How about that? <laughs> so what it really means is that the value of the dollar today is worth more than the value of the dollar in the future. Mm-hmm. So, 
when it comes to money, you know, time works in our favor, you know, because mm-hmm. over time, if we start investing our money now, we give it the opportunity to, you know, earn some interest, grow with inflation and kind of keep us supported. Mm-hmm. And the idea behind, you know, investing in general is to, you know, put your money away, like you said, for a rainy day. And that rainy day could be your emergency fund. That could be your retirement. It could be, you know, two months from now. It could be, you know, 35 years from now. Mm-hmm. But when we think about time as it relates to getting our our money matters in check, there are some situations where time is really of the essence and there are situations where, you know, time doesn't matter as much. But when we think about those loftier goals um, or more ambiguous goals, I don't, I don't necessarily want to call them lofty, those more ambiguous goals, those long-term future goals mm-hmm. like retirement or you know, how much money should I be putting away in every paycheck, all of those things. There's a lot of value in that to you now, even though you maybe can't touch, feel, mm-hmm. see it, understand it completely because of the time aspect involved and what your money needs to do to be able to work for you to help support whatever it is you think you might value in the future. And so looking into ways to maximize those dollars now for you, you know, despite your uncertainty about about that is looking into options about how you can make your money work for you now. Mm -hmm. You know, when we think about, you know, some of our smaller or shorter term goals, like the emergency fund, that is, I mean, that is a huge thing that everybody should be really focused on is, is one of their primary short term financial goals is establishing Mm -hmm. that emergency fund, you know, and, but then you get into like the ambiguity of like how much, right? Like, like it sort of feels like even if, even if you hit a point where like, okay, I know what my values are. I know what my goals are. Mm -hmm. I have this idea that like, I want to be able to save for X, Y, Z thing at short, middle and long term. But -hmm. for some of these amorphous things, it's not just that the time frame is amorphous, but like the, the amount, how much is okay. Right. 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 So, you know, you hear a lot of people say, okay, well you should be saving at least, you know, 10% of your paycheck. Well, that's, that's great general advice, but it's not applicable to everybody. You know, 10% could be a hundred dollars a paycheck. I mean, it's, it's, it's relative to what your goals are and, Mm -hmm. and how aggressive you want to be. And so when we're, when we're talking about things like that, like, okay, well, how much should this be? Well, what are you hoping to do? Again, this is going back into ambiguous territory, but when we don't have a clear idea of what we value at any given and we're kind of bogged down a little bit by, you know, this, this money block of, you know, ambiguity and, yeah, I don't know, kind of, kind of approach to this. One of the things I find really helpful is doing just some basic, you know, balance sheet type stuff with your personal finance. You know, okay, how much am I bringing in? How much do I owe? How much is left over? Mm-hmm. Okay, and from that amount left over, you know, are what, what part are you contributing your paycheck to, you know, your 401k or 403b or, you know, whatever retirement account you might have. Once, you know, that's done, you know, if you're, you're meeting your employer match, which is something you should, should mm-hmm. do. So you're not throwing away free money. How much of that is left over? And then you can say, okay, so let's say after every paycheck, you've got $300 left over after expenses, everything's been paid for. You got $300 left over. Well, some people might say, well, you know, if you don't have an emergency fund, you need to save that whole $300. My personal approach to that is that when you've got conflicting views on value, right, where you're not completely clear on what should 
and, it, and we can get it gets very convoluted. We're not sure what we should value because we're afraid of doing something wrong. We're afraid of not knowing enough. We're, we're afraid. We're fearful. Well, fearfulness is a powerful driver for either, you know, not saving any of it or spending all of it. A lot mm -hmm. of times it either turns back into, you know, black or white, despite it's the gray area that is confusing us. Mm -hmm. And so my advice is to work within that gray area. So if you're confused as to, you know, how much you should be saving or how much you should be spending with the amount of money you've got left over, meet yourself halfway and say, you know what, I'm going to take $150 of this and I'm going to put it into this, this account. I'm going to call it the amorphous account. <laughs> Literally call it the amorphous account. You can name your accounts. My recommendation specifically for you, since you have a tendency of moving money around, it becomes way too convenient. <laughs> I would recommend like an online banking account, an online savings account where you can learn a little bit more interest, but it makes it really hard to access it. Like right. to the point where you, where you sign up for um, that account. So, this is in no way an endorsement for Ally Bank, but when you sign up for an account with them, they'll ask you, well, do you want us to send you a debit card? Mm -hmm. My response was absolutely not. Yeah. You know? I tried to get, I tried to get my mentee to sign up for an Ally savings account. There was a bunch of whatever. She never actually did it, but that was my, my, the one that I was like, it's really hard to access. Just have things go there automatically. It'll be great. So, so my, so my advice to you is listen to your own advice. Goodness <laughs> gracious. You already have the answers. You, do. you already got them. You know, and it's it's learning to work within, you know, what you know, and what you don't know. And so what you, what you know is if I've got $300 left over, all right, I'm going to put $150 into this amorphous account that I have mm -hmm. no idea what it's going to be used for. But I'm working towards the goal of having an amorphous account that I mm -hmm. don't touch. That could be a very great place to start for you. And then mm -hmm. that $150 that's left over, you could use that on the things that you value right now. Yeah. I mean, right, right now, my strategy has even been like, I have, so I use YNAB, you need a budget. Yeah. And like, I have like a set of savings things and I've been collapsing that group of categories. So I can't even see it. So when I'm saying like, oh, I accidentally overspent on, you know, I bought new shampoo and I didn't quite budget enough for it. Cause I also bought toothpaste this month, right? Like, you know, if I have to move a couple dollars around, I can't even see those, right? Like I can't see the saving stuff. Like it's not, I'm not going to take shampoo out of my emergency fund, right? Like, cause that's not an emergency or like, I'm not going to take it out of my vacation fund or, you know, whatever. Right. Like, so I've been trying to do that a little bit, just sort of like out of sight, out of mind, even if it's not like a separate mm -hmm. account to try to get at some of that. <laughs> And here's the thing, you know, I definitely agree with the out of sight, out of mind. You know, mm -hmm. I, I agree with that philosophy. It helps when when you can just kind of stash things away and you're not thinking about. It. But the caveat to that is don't let yourself check out mentally. Is that you've got to stay active and engaged in it. Mm -hmm. You can you can keep the actual part of the out of sight, out of mind with where your money is going. You can't touch it, can't access it. But just, just remind yourself not to go on autopilot is that it's okay to embrace where you're at in terms of, you know what, I just, things are ambiguous. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. But don't remain in the habit of, you know, just being like, eh, eh. Mm -hmm. It takes a little bit more of a hands-on approach. And the more you're checked in, and when I say checked in, I'm asking you to check in with your values. What's important mm -hmm. to you? And really giving that some thought and consideration mm -hmm. and using your past experiences, like the example you've given, 
to, to reframe that going forward. You know, you're good, you know, financial independence or wellness or whatever you want to call it. You know, it's, it's, it truly is a journey. You know, there are going to be detours along the way. There are going to be lots of road bumps. You know, you're going to make mistakes. Uh-huh. Remembering that you've got the tools and resources available to you and that you are not dumb. You are, you are a smart woman with a lot going for her. Uh-huh. And so much of remembering, you know, who, who you are and what you value will will help you value yourself more and help you understand that you deserve all the good things in your life, financially, relationships, good professional career and standing. You deserve that. Your self-worth is more than the value of money. Mm -hmm. It always will be. But you'll find the more you value yourself and the things that you value and really defining what those are, it will directly directly translate to what you see happen in the way you shift towards managing your money. Uh-huh. The, the way you approach the way you view yourself will change the way you approach money. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes that, that sort of makes a lot of sense. And I've, I've sort of seen, seen some of that, like, you know, value based, approach to money management before too just in terms of like sort of thinking about even like a formal value statement or something like I I like follow a couple of different like sort of female focused financial stuff and so like I get some newsletters and whatever and and one of the ones that I talked I looked at or I got recently I received recently yeah I had sort of like a little worksheet to like do a value statement and like it sounded like a good idea and I saved it and then I didn't do it. I didn't do it. So it's sort of, it's, it's nice to uh, have it be sort of confirmed and that's okay. It's, it's nice to have it sort of be, be confirmed and, and sort of to hear it from additional sources as well. Right. This idea that like, it's not just a, I don't know. It, it sort of feels like, oh, this is sort of a, maybe can feel like a silly activity to think about deeply about your values. But like, especially when it comes to money, because I feel like with money, often like you value what's in front of your face, right? Like the dinner out, the right. ad, the whatever, right? But I think that's a really good sort of, I, I appreciate being a, like, I don't know, evangelized <laughs> more. <laughs> well, I think it's just, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily call it evangelization. I, I think, I don't even know, is that a word, evangelization? I think I might've just made that up. I'm not That's sure. Okay. I'm not but what it really is, is you're getting confirmation from multiple sources mm-hmm. that confirm what you already know within you. Is that this, this makes sense. I'm, I'm getting hit with these from, the same message from multiple mm-hmm. sources. And so what it's doing is resonating with you. Right. It's making some sense to you. And so when you find yourself in situations where something is resonating, you're like, wow, I keep hearing this. It means it's aligning with who you are and where you want to go. And so when you find stuff like that, I, you know, creating a value statement for yourself, treat yourself like your own corporation. You know, you can be the, 
you know, especially, you know, as you're getting married and mm-hmm. you're, you know, creating this household. It's a it's, big transition time. It's, That's it's, very a huge, true. <laughs> it's a huge transition time. And this is a really great opportunity to strengthen your relationship with your husband from that financial perspective, mm-hmm. because, you know, money is a, is a big, big player in, you know, marital relationships for, for obvious reasons. And the less conflict you have there will only lead to better outcomes for your marriage and better opportunities to communicate and reach both your individual financial goals, but your your overall financial goals. Mm -hmm. And so creating one of the most creative ideas I'd ever heard was a, a friend of mine who created an annual financial like report statement for his family every year. And it, I just, I thought it was a brilliant idea, but it, it really is kind of taking that idea of taking ownership of your household mm-hmm. as the CEO of your corporation and you are making decisions financially, mm-hmm. you know, with the people involved, you know, you know, all, all of these things that get you to where, where you want to go. And most corporations have, you know, a mission statement, a values statement, you know, mission values and vision. I mean, we see that almost everywhere and doing those things for yourself and writing them down and really, really honing, especially that values part, I think will be extremely beneficial for you going forward and trying to manage your feelings about, you know, again, the amorphous, you know, financial future and and what you need to, to value and honor right now. There's nothing wrong with honoring the things you value right now. Mm -hmm. The difference is knowing how much to honor right now and how much to honor in the future without, and and just being able to trust yourself and the belief in yourself that you can make this happen. And that's where working on knowing that you are worth this, that you deserve this. That's where that piece comes into play. Well, I think, I think your, your point too, about the, about the like, you know, annual report or whatever. I mean, it's almost the same idea as like professionally when you keep track of like, these are the great things I did. Right. And as you come to talk about goals and individual development with your manager, you're saying like, here are the great things I did over time. And if you don't pay attention to it and you're not, you don't care about tracking it, it can be really hard at that annual thing to say like, here are all my successes, but it feels like it could be a good opportunity to say like, okay, when I'm feeling sort of financially and, you know, having a high self-worth about money, why? And being able to look back upon that in the future to say like, oh yeah, I did some good things. I do know some things. I did have some success around that. It's definitely feels like it would be helpful as well. Yeah. It's like, give myself a raise. I've done such a good job. <laughs> but in, in theory, you are, you know, you know, relating it to an employee performance review. If we're, we're tracking all of those things and you do get to that position at some point where, you know, you want to ask for a raise. There's got to be some justification for it. You can't just go to your employer and say, I need a raise because I showed up to work every day on time. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a difference between, you know, showing up to work and doing the work. Right. And that's exactly what you're talking about right now. You can show up to work in your own personal financial situation, but if you're not doing the work, you're not going to see long-term results or short-term mm-hmm. results. You're just going to find frustration and frustration and money they just don't mix because nothing gets to move forward and then it just makes you feel worse about yourself and then it's you know this black hole to where you're going down on that scale from 10 to 5 to, to 1 which using your harry potter analogy might as well be lord voldemort <laughs> shall not be named right exactly yes so any other thoughts you have was this helpful i think so i think that 
spending some time sort of reviewing sort of how, how my budget is put together, but also like how, how it aligns with my values and, and whether my values have changed or are changing or whatever feels like a really useful exercise once the sweating thing is over. And give yourself some room as you, you know, think about what these values are, give yourself some room to allow your values to change. You know, we, it's okay to change your mind. At any point, your values are going to change. You're going to evolve as an individual. You and your husband-to-be are going to evolve as a couple. All of those things are going to happen for you, and your values will change. And so it's important to remain consistent in evaluating and monitoring, mm-hmm. you know, your values, whether it be, you know, every couple of months, once a year, but but make it a dedicated practice mm-hmm. to, to get a good sense, a strong sense of, of those values. And understand where your guilt and your shame and your, you know, your self-worth scale are as it relates to all those things. And, and you'll start seeing marked improvement in the way you feel about yourself and the way you feel about your money. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I will definitely, uh, you know, circle back to that and, and, and work towards that. Definitely. Okay. And, it, and, you know, going forward to you have my email address. So if, mm-hmm. you know, you ever have any you know questions or want a little bit of advice, I, I love, I love it. So feel free to, <laughs> feel free to reach out. And I, I definitely wish you the absolute best on your upcoming wedding and oh, thank you so much. An amazing celebration in the future to follow. <laughs> Eventually, amorphously in the future. We'll amorphously in the future.